following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Second Corinthians. We are in this book and we're in chapter 4 of this book and we're working through the second half of this chapter. I want to just point something out as we get into this this morning. There's a phrase that Paul uses here which kind of sets up our discussion this morning. Uh, he uses the phrase in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. That's the key phrase. We do not lose heart. And then over in verse 16, he says the same thing. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And those two phrases really bookend Paul's thoughts and reflections in this chapter. They bookend what he wants to say. This is really a section of the letter where he's talking about what keeps him from losing heart and becoming discouraged in his life and in his ministry. Because at this point in Paul's life, he was hugely tempted to lose heart. There, he was going through one of the toughest times in his life, the guy writing this letter, one of the hardest seasons in his life. His relationship with this church that he's writing to was absolutely falling apart. It was a mess. The Corinthians had become in, completely infatuated by this group of teachers that had come into Corinth, this group that he calls the super apostles. You remember we talked about that? Earlier in the series, the super apostles. Paul kind of uses that term sarcastically because they're not super and they're not even apostles, but he calls them super apostles. These guys that have just come in preaching what is really a self-promoting, self-centered, self-gratifying, self-glorifying gospel, which looks very little like the gospel that Paul preached. And at the same time, they're taking some shots at Paul and they're trying to undermine him, questioning his authority, questioning his credentials making him out to be this low-grade apostle, this budget, no-frills apostle, uh, really just a lowly tradesman from the wrong end of town. And so Paul's dealing with all that. He's taking some hard knocks, and he's trying to rebuild his relationship with the Corinthians on the other hand. So he's having a very, very difficult time. And in this chapter, he brings the Corinthians in on what is keeping him encouraged in his life. Despite all of that, even though the Corinthians are the cause of half his problems, he talks to them about, this is what's keeping me going. This is what's keeping me motivated. This is what's empowering me. And this is a word, this passage today, I think particularly for those times in our lives when we are tempted to lose heart, we're tempted to feel discouraged and demoralized. And that might be some of you this morning, you might be in that space of just feeling discouraged. You might have come in here this morning, just stuff's going on in your life, just feeling discouraged discouraged by life. Maybe you're trying to get something going, trying to get some plans going, trying to make something happen and it's just not coming together. And the future that you thought was going to take shape is not really taking shape. Maybe it's something in your life that you're struggling with, something on the inside, the struggle of depression, the struggle of anxiety, the struggle of negative self-esteem, something like that. And you just don't feel like you're making any progress on that. Could be something going on around you. Could be something going on within you. There's a million things in life that can discourage us. Most of the time, our lives, I think, are a mixture of things that are good and things that are bad and things that are halfway in between. And so if you came here and, and life is good and you've got things to celebrate, then hopefully this passage is not going to pour cold water all over that, but just lift your spirits even more. Because the things that Paul points to that keep him from losing heart are things that can encourage us wherever we're at and however we're feeling about life. But particularly for those times you're feeling discouraged, particularly for those times that you just feel burdened and flat and deflated and disillusioned with life because of what is going on, a situation you're facing. This passage, I think what Paul says here, has tremendous hope 
to speak into those situations and into our hearts. So I hope you can hear that um, for, the, for those times, for the times that will come in the future. So let me read this passage. I'm going to read from verse 8 down to verse 18 and then, and then uh, dive into it. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefits, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what Paul does here, if you run your eye back up to verse 8, is he starts by giving us this list of his sufferings and struggles. This is People call this a hardship catalogue. It's like where Paul just catalogues some of his struggles, and it's one of three times that he does this in the letter, and each one gets more severe. So each time he lists his sufferings, they get more and more intense. So even though this seems full on, it's actually the most mild one in the whole letter. And what he does is describe his sufferings in very general terms. He doesn't go into specifics yet, but he just gives us a picture of some of the things that he's been dealing with. So let's just walk through this. In verse 8, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. When Paul says he's hard-pressed, he means that everywhere he went, there were people who followed him and plagued him and tried to make life as difficult as possible for him. Just imagine that. Imagine maybe you've got those people in your life. But Paul did. He had, wherever he went, there were just groups of people and there were individuals who just made it their business to try and drive him out of town, lock him up, slander him, drag him before the courts, do whatever they could, and just constantly attacked, 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 oppressed, 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 just always under pressure. And yet he says, we're not crushed. We're not crushed. And the idea of being crushed is the idea of being boxed in or caged in. And so Paul's saying, well, we're, we're, we're attacked. There are people that are coming against us all the time, but we've still got freedom. He's not writing this letter from prison. This isn't one of the prison epistles. He's writing this as a free man. He says, I can still travel. I can still correspond. I can still visit these churches. I can still preach the gospel. I'm not crushed. I'm not caged in yet. So that's something to be grateful for. And then he says, we are perplexed but not in despair. I actually find this the most encouraging because the word perplexed can also be translated baffled. I quite like the thought of Paul just being baffled. You know, we, we, I think sometimes we can idealize Paul. We sort of see him as this great fearless leader, just rides into these situations, deals with the bad guys, rides off into the sunset again. But Paul says, there's times in my ministry, I'm just baffled. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how I got into this. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. I don't know what to do. I'm baffled. I like that because I'm baffled sometimes. I've got no idea what I'm doing sometimes. I like the thought that Paul was baffled too. He says we're perplexed, 
but we're not in despair. In other words, God has not allowed us to sink down into despair as a defining, enduring, permanent condition. I think there were certainly times Paul experienced discouragement, even depression possibly, but he's saying we have not made that our eternal condition. God has not allowed us to sink so far down that we're just now defined by despair. We're not completely without hope. That's what he's saying. Then he says we're persecuted, but not abandoned. It's an interesting thing for Paul to say persecuted because remember he was the persecutor as a Pharisee. That's a word that described who he was. But now he's saying the persecutor has become the persecuted. I'm being persecuted now is what he's saying. But not abandoned. And that's such a rich theological phrase because the word Paul uses there for abandon is the same word that Jesus used, the Greek version of the same word Jesus used on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or why have you forsaken me? And Paul is, is thinking here, I think that because Christ was abandoned on the cross, he's never going to be abandoned. Paul's never going to be abandoned because the father was willing to abandon his own son on the cross. He will never abandon us he's bound himself to us and that gives paul incredible hope during what he's facing and then he says finally we're struck down but we're not destroyed struck down he might be thinking physically of being struck the number of times he was beaten but he might also just be thinking figuratively of just being disappointed just taking hits and knocks in his life just hit after hit things going wrong things going badly and yet he says at the end we are not destroyed in other words we're still alive it's like paul gets to the end of this whole list he's trying to think of something positive to say the best he can come up with at the end is well i'm still breathing you know i've still got air in my lungs we're not dead yet he's ever the optimist is paul but what is so important in this passage is the way that paul frames his struggles and his sufferings he's got a particular way of looking at his struggles in life and his difficulties and this takes us to the heart of Paul's theology of suffering. And this is where his encouragement comes from. He articulates it in verse 10. He says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's a striking phrase, isn't it? We carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. The heart of what Paul's saying here is this. As a Christian, to suffer is to share in the dying and the rising of Christ. To suffer in any way, to whatever extent, if you're a Christian, to suffer is to share in both the dying and the rising of Christ. So for Paul, the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, they're not just events that happened 20 years earlier, but they're events that in some sense continue to unfold in his life, continue to outwork themselves in his life. And when he's going through tough times, he sees himself in some way as sharing in those events, sharing in the death of Jesus, sharing in the resurrection of Jesus. So I want to just unpack this from both sides, the dying of Christ, the rising of Christ, how that affects us. Firstly, when we suffer, when we struggle, we share in the dying. We share in the death of Jesus. Now, when Paul uses the word death, this is important to note, when he uses the word death, he uses it a few times through verse 10, 11, and 12. He's not just thinking literally of physical death. Because if he was, it wouldn't make any sense for him to say we're always being handed over to death. He can't be saying we're always physically dying. What he's saying is death is a symbol of all kinds of suffering that we go through. All sorts of trouble, all kinds of suffering in our life. It's a, it's a kind of a dying 
to sort of a dying that we go through when we struggle. Paul's saying we're just constantly battling, we're constantly slogging it out, and it's like we're dying as we do this. There's a sort of a dying that's going on, and that dying is actually a sharing in Christ's own death, in Christ's own dying. Now, to see how that works, you need to see the way that Paul saw the death of Jesus. On the one hand, when Jesus died, he carried our sin. We know this. It's the basis of our salvation. Christ carried our sin. But he did something more. When Christ died, he not only carried our sin, he also carried our suffering. And we don't often go there. We don't often think about that dimension of Christ's death. But Jesus did both. He carried our sin, and then he carried our suffering. Isaiah 53 tells us this. He says, surely he took up our pain and carried or bore our suffering. So yes, he died for our sin. He died for our transgressions. He died for our iniquities. But he also died for those things. He carried those things that are just done to us by other people. He carried those things that we don't have culpability for. We've just received the wounds of life and the struggles of being in this broken and fallen world. Christ has carried those too. He's carried our anxieties. He's carried our depression. He's carried our self-hatred. He's carried our stress. He's carried our sheer exhaustion. He's carried our discouragement. He's carried our sense of loneliness. He's carried our sense of God-forsakenness because Jesus was God-forsaken. Even if it's only a perceived sense of God-forsakenness, Christ has carried it. He's carried all of those things in his body on the cross. He's carried your struggles. So what that means is because Jesus has carried our struggles in his body on the cross. When we struggle, we are carrying the sufferings of Christ in our body. Which is exactly what Paul says in verse 10. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus. It's a two-sided coin, do you see? It's a reciprocal thing. Because Christ has carried our sufferings in his body, now we carry the sufferings of Christ in our body. When we experience pain, when we experience trauma, we go through difficult times, we're carrying something of the death of Jesus in our own bodies. This has power to transform the way that we see our struggles. That in some sense, when we struggle, we're carrying the death of Jesus within us. It's not meant to be something that adds to the burden. It's not meant to weigh us down. It's not like, well, great, I'm I'm already suffering. Now you're telling me I'm also having to carry the death of Jesus on top of my sufferings. This is something that should lighten the burden because we know that when we go through pain, we go through grief, we go through anxiety, go through loneliness, we are going through something Christ has carried. He's already carried it. He's borne those things. You go through a situation at work at the moment that's utterly overwhelming to you and the intensity of that situation is just beyond you. Christ has carried it. He's already borne that. Not just, your, not just the things you've done to disobey God, but also those things that you're just experiencing because life is brutally hard. Jesus has carried those things on the cross. The deep, deep disappointment that you feel because of something that's happened in your life or something that hasn't worked out, something that you hoped would happen and hasn't, that deep sense of just utter disappointment. Christ has carried it. He's felt it. That is part of what he bore on the cross. Not just your sin, but also your suffering. He died for our sin because we are offenders of God. But he died for our suffering because we're also victims. 
We're victims of the world. We're victims of other people. Very often we're victims of ourselves. But Christ has carried all of that. He bore our suffering and he bore our sin. And that, I think, can give us a new view of what it means to struggle and experience pain in life. It's not just going through difficult times. It's not just going through struggles, but it's actually tasting something of the death of Jesus. As you're going through that stuff that you're going through now, can you see it in some way as carrying something of Christ's death in your body? That's what's happening. Not just when you suffer in a particularly Christian way, not just suffering as a Christian or as a missionary or whatever, in those kinds of spiritual, quote, spiritual ways, but any kind of suffering, any kind of struggle, in some sense, you're tasting something of Jesus' own death. When you go through that, you're sharing in something of Christ's own passion. And that's a, that's a new, I think it's a deeper way to see our suffering, to see our struggles. It's not just the dying, though, and we can't leave it there. It's also the rising. So Paul talks about we're sharing in the dying of Christ. We've got the death of Jesus in our bodies when we struggle. But it's also the life of Jesus that we experience when we struggle. And this is what keeps us from losing heart. This is really what encourages Paul and fuels him. When he talks about the life of Jesus, he says the life of Jesus being revealed in our body. He's not talking about the life of Jesus before his crucifixion. He's talking about the resurrected life of Jesus the risen Christ who comes to us in the middle of our struggles and our difficulties and our pain and he encourages us and he lifts us up and he gives us a little bit more hope. It's the risen Christ within us who gives us hope in the midst of our struggles. The risen Christ is the one who encourages us with everything that encouraged Paul through verses 8, through verse 9. All the positives in the midst of the negatives are all the work of Christ by the Spirit in our life. So no matter how hard-pressed we are, it's the risen Christ who says you're not going to be crushed. No matter how hard-pressed you are at the moment, Jesus is saying to you, I'm not going to allow you to be crushed. I'm not going to allow you to be defeated by this. I will hold you, I will sustain you, I will strengthen you through this. Like the scripture that says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Christ will hold us, he will carry us. It means no matter how perplexed, no matter how baffled we are, no matter how confused we are at points in our life, the risen Christ says, I will not let you, if you hold on to me, I will not let you drift down into despair. I will not allow despair to define you and be your all-consuming reality. Yes, there'll be times when you're discouraged. Yes, there'll be times when you feel hopeless, but that is not going to define you. I will be the light in the darkness for you. I will give you signs of hope. I'll give you signs of my presence. If you'll hold on to me, I will not allow you to be in despair as a permanent reality. This is the work of Jesus within us. This is the rising of Christ. He's the one who said, no matter how persecuted you might be, no matter how attacked by other people, you will not be abandoned. Jesus will not abandon us. He's faced the abandonment of the Father on the cross. That was the hardest thing Jesus endured on the cross. It wasn't the physical pain. That was horrendous. But that was eclipsed by the spiritual pain of the Father abandoning him in the moment of his desolation. But because of that, Jesus says, I will never abandon you now. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how dark it gets, I will not abandon you. Some of you just need to hear that this morning, that God has not abandoned you. No matter what you're going through, God's not abandoned you. He's not turned away from you. You may not feel his presence, but he's right there. He's not giving up on you. He's not giving up on his promises. He's never 
ever going to neglect you. He's never going to forsake you. He's right there. He will not abandon you. That's the hope that we have. It's the hope that Christ gives us. And he says, no matter how struck down you might be in life, you will not be destroyed. He says, I'm not going to let this get the better of you. I'm not going to let evil have the final word. I will not allow you to be defeated by this, but I will sustain you and I will empower you. This is the work of Christ. This is the rising of Christ. We experience the dying plenty of times. But how open are we to this work of the rising, the resurrected Jesus in our life, bringing some hope, bringing some encouragement in our life? It's the risen Christ gives us a little bit more hope when we're feeling hopeless, a little bit more encouragement when we're feeling discouraged, a little bit more faith when we're feeling faithless, a little bit more peace when we're feeling anxious, a little bit more presence of God when we're feeling totally God-forsaken. This is the work of Christ. If we're open to it, this is what he will do for us. And notice in this passage that the rising and the dying happen together. That there's death and resurrection together. Death and life. We experience this death all the time because of our struggles. And yet at the same time, we experience life. So Paul's not saying, after we've just suffered a little while, then it's going to get much better on Tuesday. He doesn't know whether it's going to get better or not. Paul's saying, I don't know whether it's going to get better or whether it's going to get worse. And for Paul, it got a lot worse. It got a lot, lot. He, he still had 10 years to live when he wrote this letter. And it got harder and it got worse. But he says, regardless of what happens, I can still experience the rising of Christ in my life. This resurrected life of Jesus within me, even while I'm dying. Even though outwardly I'm wasting away, inwardly I'm being renewed. See, they go together. There's not, this is not a movement from death to resurrection. This is not a kind of triumphalism where we just move from death and out the other side into the victorious Christian life. The victorious Christian life happens in the middle of your suffering. Happens right in the middle of the darkness. That's the paradox of Christian suffering. It's resurrection in the midst of death. It's strength in weakness. It's power in powerlessness. It's honor in shame. It's victory in defeat. It's wisdom in foolishness. It means even though you're dying on the inside, you can still experience resurrection. The life of Christ, the life of Jesus welling up within us so that inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Don't wait for the tough stuff to pass before you experience the rising of Christ. The risen life of Christ is available to us right in the blackest moment. And some of you are facing that blackest of black moments right now. And Christ is there. He's with you. And he's making himself available and saying, my spirit will encourage you and empower you if you will hold on to me. Rising in the midst of dying. So as we see our struggles this way, I think as we come to see the pain, the difficulty in life as a sharing in the dying of Jesus and a sharing in the rising of Jesus, it can give us some encouragement. It can give us a new view of what we're going through. It can prevent us from losing heart because we are being inwardly renewed and replenished by the Spirit of God day by day. If we allow Him, if we tap into Him, if we allow Him to encourage our hearts. And then there's another direction that Paul faces in this passage, and there's something else he points to that keeps him from losing heart. It comes right at the end of this chapter. He points towards the future. And Paul, as he closes this chapter, he looks towards what's coming down the track. And he said, that is something I really see as a huge encouragement in the midst of what I'm going through. 
I want to focus particularly on verse 17. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I was at a conference last week, week before last, and one of the speakers was describing something of Paul's journey. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how he's received 39 lashes five times. And so this, this guy at the conference was just describing the experience of the fifth time that Paul received the 40 lashes minus one. And he says, imagine what it would have been like for the Roman soldier stringing Paul up to be whipped and just opening his shirt and just seeing his back and just full of scars, just a tapestry of mutilated, lacerated flesh. And just recognizing there's not a single place on Paul's back that had not already been torn open by a Jewish whip. And then that soldier proceeded to give Paul another 39 lashes, just scars on top of scars. So by the time Paul's writing this letter, if you can imagine him dictating this letter to his secretary, walk in the room with these 195 scars on his back. And that is only part of what Paul suffered. You read the rest of the book, all kinds of other things that he had endured as well. But just think about the scars. Just think about the 195 times that he had felt that whip on his back, tearing flesh off his back. And yet Paul can think about all of that and say, these are just light and momentary troubles. And it sort of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? I mean, it just puts in perspective the whinging and the complaining that we do in our lives over... You know, how, whether our coffee's hot enough or whatever. You know, you just sort of read that. It's just a bit of a reality check, isn't it? All of our whinging just kind of falls away when Paul can say, my troubles are just light and momentary. How does he say that, though? I mean, how can he do that? It's not just a cliche. What Paul's doing is he's looking at something else while he's saying that. That's how. Because he's looking at his struggles in view of the future in view of the light of glory that's coming down the track. And what he says is, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's a clunky translation. The, the, the literal phrase is, an eternal weight of glory. It's a beautiful, it's a phrase C.S. Lewis used, one of his sermons, the weight of glory. That's what Paul's describing. Our light and momentary troubles are eclipsed by this weightiness of glory. That is coming. What Paul's actually doing here is something quite tricky. That the word weight that he uses, he's used it back in chapter one in a negative sense. He's used it to describe his troubles. He's used it to describe the weightiness of his burdens and the pressure that he's under. He says we faced great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. He's talking about being weighed down by troubles, weighed down by difficult people, weighed down by these circumstances in a negative sense. But then here what he does is he flips that word around. He gets to chapter 4, same word, flips it around into a positive, And he says, when we finally get into the new creation and we stand before Christ with resurrected bodies, then we are going to be weighed down by glory. At the moment, we're weighed down by all these burdens. But on that day, we will be weighed down by the glory of God. When we stand before Jesus, when he returns, when we are ushered into the new heavens and the new earth, the glory of God will so descend upon us, it'll just be a weight we can barely even bear in a good way. 
It's hard to get your head around because it feels like, isn't that a negative thing to be weighed down by that? But it is going to be unbearably good. It's going to be weightily good. Incredibly good. The presence of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, so enveloping us, so consuming us, that we will be so weighed down by the presence of God, we will, we will buckle under the weight of it. The peace of God, the beautiful shalom of God, descending upon us in such measure that we will just buckle under the weight of it and we will fall on our faces. The glory of God will be this weighty, weighty thing, but it will be wonderfully good. It reminds me of the words of a David Crowder song. We sung the chorus of it before. Nate's going to sing it over communion. And the verse says, He is jealous for me, talking about God. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory. See, I think he's lifting the language out of that chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. It's wonderful poetry, beautiful words, and it's scripture. There's the weight of the wind and the mercy of God. We're like a tree bending beneath the weight. And we, and we feel that now to some degree. We feel the weight of the mercy of God and the, the wind of His glory. And maybe in a moment like this, as we're thinking about these scriptures, we, we sense something of the weightiness of it. But how much more so on that day when Christ returns and we're overwhelmed by the weight of glory. Now, when you get your head in that space, when you soak your soul in that picture, when you marinate your mind in that picture, then you come back to your present stuff that's going on. Problems at work, problems at home, problems with health, problems with finances, problems with kids, whatever. And it just looks a little bit different, doesn't it? Once you've been over in this space and you spend some time maybe soaking yourself in passages of Scripture, that talk about the weight of glory. Revelation 21 and 22, 1 Corinthians 15, Romans 8, this chapter, and you soak yourself in that. Then you come back to this stuff over here. And yes, it's there and it's very real. I'm not sure. I mean, David Crowder says, all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions. I think he's maybe drinking a bit too much happy juice there because <laughs> I'm very aware of my afflictions. You know, but I think we can at least say they perhaps look a little different. They perhaps seem just a little bit lighter in view of the eternal glory and grace of Jesus. It's kind of, have you had this experience of uh, when you've been trampering for a whole day with a heavy backpack? I've only ever had it once. I'm not trying to overplay it. But I remember one time, just one time, I went on a day hike, heavy backpack, and you take the backpack off at the end of the day and what happens? You feel light. I mean, you almost feel like you're floating. That's just your normal weight. But because you've been carrying a heavy backpack, you just feel so light. If you can flip that analogy in your mind and think about it in a positive sense, it's kind of what Paul is saying here. When we get our heads and our hearts into that space of thinking about that day, thinking about that glory, thinking about that day when the voice from the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. No more death, mourning, crying, and pain. And you spend time there. And then you come back to your present stuff. It's kind of like lifting the backpack. And it just feels a little bit lighter. And the Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit, gives us a little more strength to go another round, take another step, get back in the fight. Because we've seen the glory. And now we can deal with our earthly stuff a little bit better.
So Paul says, I fix my eyes not on what's seen, but on what is unseen. This is what we've got to learn to do, is not just look at the stuff that's right in front of us, but learn to look through it to resurrection, to new creation, to the eternal weight of glory. Can you, can you do that with the situations you're dealing with? I mean, you know, like in a group of people this size, there's all kinds of pain and struggles and difficulties that are going on, but can you, rather than just looking straight at those things that are waiting for you when you walk out of here, can you look through them and can you see a taste of God's glory? Can you see what God is doing? Can you see the presence of His Spirit? Can you focus yourself on that final day? Can that breathe a little bit of encouragement into your soul in the present? So whether discouragement is something that you're going through right now, whether it's something that's going to come down the track for you, it's a, it's a moment, it's a season, it's a time. But when those times come and when you feel in danger of losing heart, and some of you may be today, you just feel like you're losing heart, you're losing grip, you're losing your encouragement, you're losing hope, maybe you're just hanging on by a thread. When those times come, think of the journey of Paul. Think about his story. Think about his scars. Think about the way that he was able to see his difficulties as sharing in the dying and the rising of Jesus, carrying in his body the death of Jesus, and carrying in his body the life of Jesus. And then let your heart and mind turn to the future, to the weight of glory, and focus your eyes not on what's seen, but on what is unseen. That's, that's really what faith is, isn't it? Focusing on what is unseen. Part of what is unseen is what's coming in the future, down the track, as well as what God is doing in our lives right now. Focus your mind and your heart on that, and it will breathe encouragement, and it will help us not to lose heart in the present. Let me pray. Father God, you look down from heaven and you see us now gathered in this room and you see each of our hearts laid bare and you see our stories and you see our lives. And you see all the joy and the good stuff that's going on and you see the deep, deep pain and the anguish. And Father, I pray now for everyone here in their life who is facing discouragement, who's just feeling burdened, just feeling flat and demoralized, for whatever reason, God, you know. You know the stories. You know the pain. Father, I pray that just as we sit here now, you just minister to us by your Spirit. We pray for that inward renewing of your Spirit to be a present reality even now for us, even for us in this room, that you would just wash over us with your love and with your mercy, that we would sense that we are inwardly being renewed day by day, even as outwardly we're wasting away. Sometimes it feels like inwardly we're wasting away as well. But we pray, Jesus, for that rising of Christ now to come into our lives. For the risen Jesus to speak into our hearts hope and faith. To speak into our hearts peace. To speak into our hearts value when we are just feeling unvalued. Just to give us encouragement. We thank you, God, that you've given us your Holy Spirit as our encourager, as our comforter. So we pray you just speak over us, your great love for us. Let us know deeper than we've ever known before the depth of your love, the depth of your grace, the depth of your mercy. And God, help us to, to fix in our minds a vision of that day when you return. And I pray it wouldn't just be this kind of fanciful thing at the end of time, 
but that it would be a very real and present encouragement to us now and what we're going through. God, we think about that day when all the struggles of the present will just fade away and the pain will just be washed away and the sorrow will be washed away and the anguish of our heart and the pain we feel for others, the burdens we carry for others, all that will just wash away and we'll just stand bathed in your grace, bathed in your mercy, just weighed down by the wonderful mercy of God. Father, I pray that we'd, we'd come back to that place often in our lives and spend time there, spend time anchoring our hearts there. And I pray it would breathe hope into the present, breathe encouragement into our lives. Father, encourage the discouraged. Bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted and bring hope to the hopeless. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.